I'm Adriana. And I'm Moisir. And you're listening to Undercurrent, this podcast complementing the Undercurrent art space at 70 John Street in Brooklyn. We've got an interview with Happy Osk coming up in a few minutes. Her show, Connectivity, opens at Undercurrent on January 29th at 6 p.m. Additionally, on February 12th, Undercurrent will launch Unmute, an iteration on the 10001 project from this summer. You'll hear more about Unmute from us before then, but for now, we can say that the website will be unmute.nyc. Right, so there's nothing on the website yet, but eventually the project will take, take flight there. The Unmute project is, is following basically this, uh, a similar model, but this time the teams are going to be made up of an artist from the EU, one of the EU participating nations, and then an artist understood broadly as a quote-unquote New Yorker. So there will be an, a quote-unquote American and then an artist from the EU, and then I think that they're also generationally separated so that it will be a younger artist with an older artist um, so that they bridge something like the digital divide but we'll talk about that more when we introduce the project right yes very excited excellent well i'm very excited for your show (laughs) yeah when dinah told me about it i I looked you up and I was like, these pieces are incredible because there is just something and I'm so excited to, well, I won't see it in person, but I'm sure it's going to look really interesting in the exhibition space. Um, So you've obviously visited there and installed. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, how did you, did you go to the space and then pick pieces accordingly or did you feel like you catered to the space or did it kind of move more organically? Um, so when I saw the open call, I, I hadn't been to the space and then it was like over the holidays. So I wasn't able to go, but I had like looked, like Googled the space and looked at the images. And so it's, it's not like site specific pertained to the space, but like the amount of the work is definitely pertain to the space and I just I wanted to create a show that like I've been thinking a lot like this year about like you know we're all connected like my action it's so apparent now my action affects you know the rest of the world so all of this works they are like built in a way that like one component of the work affects the other so they're all reliant on each other to like kind of do their job. So they stand up. So I found like this would be like a, could be an interesting show considering like what's going on today. Yeah, I mean, and looking at your other work, it seems like you do play with this idea of kind of not only gravity, but this kind of you're both like a choreographer, but also like a scientist in a way that you're seeing um what causes what or causation but it feels like there's something very humanistic in this work in a way that feels you you know something is going to fall at some point but there's a faith that it'll all somehow hold together or align in a way this pandemic must have just totally kind of solidified that concept in a way that yeah i mean uh it's funny you say like it's choreographed you know it has the scientific elements because i have background also in like modern dance so the educational system in iceland is a little bit different so we have to go to junior college to be able to go to college so we graduate quite old before going to college (laughs) 
and uh, I did like math and science there. Uh, I mean, the ironic thing is that I really hated studying it, but the interest, like, I was like, okay, I'm not going to go into that direction, but I find it interesting, like balance and stability. It's such a fragile state of being. It's always like this pursue of people's life to reach like balanced life, but it's not like status quo. You always have to work at it and, you know, it goes up and down. So I find that like, it's kind of like, it's this looming collapse of it, even though they, they will stand unless someone pulls the string, then, then they make, please don't do that on the sh- at the show. But Yeah, that, that was my other thought when I was looking at it in another in a way I wish I was there in person because I just kept thinking about um, the complicitness of the figure in the space and how one affects these delicate balances. Whether, I mean, it looks like I would feel like one breath would kind of rattle something in a way, which is kind of beautiful. It, it makes the person walking into the space um, complicit in the holding together or community-like aspect of balance in a way that I think we really need right now. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, interesting, like, so when I've shown these pieces, so the pieces arranged from, like, over the past couple of years, so some of them I've shown before, people get, like, real, like, physical reaction to them. They get very, like, quiet and tense when they approach them, and they're afraid to, like, step around them. And But then they're, like, they want to come closer because it's, like, no, is this real? Is this how it's standing? And- yeah, that's exactly my my initial reaction was too, you know, when I, when I saw the pictures, I understood that I should make every effort to go see this in person because I could understand the monumentality of the pieces and that tension and that fear that you're, you're talking about. It's, it's also like the viewer is taking a risk in with every step closer because the viewer doesn't know. And, you know, when we were chatting before we started I felt like I was pushing towards maybe something like a trade secret or something in that the question of whether the sculptures can topple or not so there are I think nine pieces in the show um eight or eight eight pieces yeah okay one is a photo collage right or a a, a photo series sorry yeah a photo series in my photographic work I work actually a lot with food so Mm. it's a cube made of jello and on top of it is a concrete ball I cast it and so this is like a kind of a durational piece so I'm basically capturing the breakdown of the cube so the weight of the concrete ball is like slowly breaking down the cube I work a lot with like in my photographic work basically like capturing the moment of like the brief existence of the sculpture. So I do cast sculptures and and then with this one, I don't manipulate it in any way. I, it's basically even though like the the photography series is the final result, it's also me like documenting a performance of these two, two components, how they are like reacting within each other. Then you also have Clasp and the new Untitled piece. Can you describe those in the context of... Because uh... they, they to me, resonate somewhat with, with the Fracture photo series, right? Yeah. 
So clasp is like they're made of two wax cubes and I cast a spring into both of them that connects those cubes. And then I turn like one of the cubes sideways. So the tension of the spring is keeping the piece together. But since it's like made of wax, the it's aluminum spring, it's sticking into the wax. So at the same time, like it's holding the piece together and they're like clasping on. They're also like slowly destroying each other because I don't know how long it will take. It might take like years, but at some point the, it will go far, far enough into the wax that it will like loosen the tension of the spring and it will break apart. So it's kind of like, I would say like a self-destructive system in a way, like you're clasping onto something and, but there is a transformation that will lead to its own destruction. It's, uh, I don't, I'm tempted to make a joke about being in, in quarantine with like uh, your spouse whom you hate. <laughs> you're, you're, you're pressed up against each other and just slowly eating away at each other. But and, and also when the cubes finally give way, I definitely don't want to be there because I'll immediately be worried that I'm going to get arrested by the museum police or the <laughs> yeah. gallery police for breaking I know out. our poor gallery attendants are going to be like... <gasps> Like, I um, swear to God, it was like that before. Like, it was going to do that. <laughs> but uh, can can you describe the untitled piece, the, the newest piece? Oh, the newest piece. So um, I've been actually thinking about the title because it's like I just finished this piece and I decided to title it uh, Interconnection. So those are like three objects and they're so there are two made of hydrocal, which is similar to plaster. And then there's a solid wax cube. And they're hanging off a beam through a rope. So the, there are two strings of rope, that co and the wax is the one that connects, is holding it all together. So there's one hydrocal cube that connects to the wax cube, and then the other one connects to the wax cube too and the rope goes through them all and they're hanging off a beam and one of the hydrocarbon cubes meets with the wax cube on a really like small surface and they are hanging up by uh, I don't know it's probably like six feet or something mm -hmm. and then the other hydrocarbon is pulling down the wax cube is below it. So basically they're connected by the rope. So there's this system there, but they're also just connected by this small surface, which is keeping the piece together. And there is this possibility of, if there is a slight movement, then the weight of the hydrocal cube that is hanging below the wax cube is gonna pull everything down and it's going to fall to the ground. And mm -hmm. uh, also there's um, knots on each side or at the top and the bottom of the wax cube, which are connected, which is a rope that connects to the hydrocarbon cube. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it sounds very complicated, but the knot is also digging into the, into the wax cube. So there is, uh, there is this possibility of like a movement there and, mm -hmm. 
so there's like this impermanence like kind of hanging over it right so so these pieces have have this kind of inherent instability built into them that isn't isn't just so I'm going to ask about the other pieces shortly but but they they have when I was talking about that kind of monumentality earlier it's because they have this they have the image of being just right like everything is just right and walk away yeah. whereas the these pieces with the wax cubes they have their just rightness is always under some kind of is always under threat not from someone knocking into it but just time itself mm. whereas hypothetically the cement cement isn't going anywhere so can can you describe the uh suspend and then the anchor series yeah so the suspend and anchor series they uh follow basically the same principle the suspend is uh made of two wood panels and then a solid concrete wall that is laying on the floor and a rope goes under the concrete wall and over one of the wood panel and through a tiny hole at the second wood panel which is suspended on the back side there's a tiny knot that is preventing the rope to slide, slide through the hole so what I'm interested in is like using these materials that are considered like very sturdy and solid, like wood and concrete. You know, you build things with them, they're supposed to last for a long time. But in this case, it's like the wood panels are like the most fragile piece, pieces of the whole work. Because if someone moves the, I mean, it's a very heavy, concrete ball is like 40 pounds so you really need to like it has to be like intentional but there is the possibility of uh it collapsing if someone moves the panels a little bit because they, they reach like an exact balancing point and if mm. they're moved a little bit they're not going to stand up so it's this constant kind of feeling of suspense um which i feel we can all relate to during this pandemic in which it's kind of trauma after trauma in the news um, or this overwhelming sense of, of dread in a way, but I don't have as much fear in your work as much as kind of this weird space between the marvel at such a delicate thing as the string mm -hmm. and kind of like a, a faith of their symbiotic relationship of sorts and their materiality. And I think what you said most here is really interesting, the inherent uh, instability of the materials. So the wax is inherently weak and that's what um, causes its its being to start splitting open by the string or by the the weight of the concrete so something made to kind of be impermanent it's also different different shades of impermanence excuse me of impermanence because the the wax or or probably the in the fracture photos the jello is like the most the most unstable you know it just breaks apart but even something like the rope, so the the anchor pieces are similar to uh, to suspend, but they they use different kinds of cement blocks. Is that right? Yeah, the anchor pieces are made of. So I made this body of work is consists of ten pieces in total, and they're all like in these geometrical shapes. And then I put it on a on a shelf. And so the reason it's called anchor is that what is anchoring them is the concrete ball that's hanging off the shelf. 
and then the rope goes over the sculpture and under it. And then it's the degree of the sculpture, how far it's leaning that is stabilizing it and the rope going under it. And again, I found it like in interesting to use concrete in this case, because it's like, it's a very strong material, but in this case, again, it's, it's most fragile component of the piece. And it's held in place by, by the anchor on the rope. But then even so, this all goes back to what I was talking about earlier, about this idea of like a trade secret in the sense of whether the, whether this, you know, it, the question is posed in looking at the works about whether they would actually fall apart or not, or are they just engineered in a way to look like they would fall apart, but actually it's, you know, it would survive an earthquake. Undercurrent would collapse before the sculptures do. Um, you've described it in, in one way, but you know, if not for this conversation, then, and I just went and looked at them, I wouldn't actually know. And then that to me prompts the sort of question about why do I want to know? Why is it, why, why is it important to me to know if this is a, a fragile work or, or, or a, a work that, that relies on tension, because that's another thing that the, the rope, eventually the tension gives out, like it, it stretches and stretches and stretches. Presumably, if you, if you let anchor one of the anchor pieces be for even 10 years of being completely undisturbed, presumably something might shift and, and topple just because the concrete may not change, but the rope will stretch in some way. But then that's that's what I'm getting at is the sort of why why do I care about whether the work is just visually unstable and visually sort of risky mm -hmm. or actually unstable and actually risky. Um yeah, that's a good question. I think obviously you could I could do it in a way that I could secure it, put like pins in it, so it would stand forever. But for me, it is important that there are no tricks involved. So it does have its own kind of lifespan and uh, kind of its own behavior, if, if you think mm. that. But I mean, I think like, often maybe like people don't realize that so i'm sure there are people that think that this is just like a very static composition and it's not never going to change and to me that's okay you know like you can have if you feel what you feel with the artwork and but on the other hand like I think like it's very like integral part of my work of not, I, it to me is kind of like cheating. So, I mean, I don't, some people ask like, why do you care? And I honestly have not found the answer to that question to tell you the truth, <laughs> but I do care very much of uh, them having kind of their, uh, just like life of their own because, um, Everything is subject to change. Like nothing is gonna last as it is forever. I think I like existing in that area of not knowing how it's made or what what is gonna cause its 
eventual demise or if it, that's going to happen. Um, and I was thinking a lot while looking at your work about just the emergence of modernity in relation to nature and like times of which both in art history and just history history that we have kind of been at this reckoning point with nature or the natural world um, and kind of marveling at something that is so beyond logic sometimes or beyond comprehension. I don't know why, but I was thinking about, well, I was, I was rereading Frankenstein, but I, the, one of the paintings on that book is um, Wander Above the Sea of Fog by Caspar David Friedrich. Um, but it's this kind of man um, on this cliff and uh, you get the sense that he's sort of overwhelmed by, by nature and reading your bio growing up in Iceland, I mean, that's a huge component of one's upbringing. So I would love to hear you talk about like how, if that has affected you or affected your work. Uh, yeah, it has affected me a lot. Like I haven't lived in Iceland for like 20 years and it took me some time to realize that like my upbringing there has had like a lot of impact of uh, on my work and so I mean I grew up with like beautiful serene nature some days and then it's like a life-threatening mm -hmm. say say you're in the same location but it's like the weather can be absolutely crazy there and then you know you grow up with like experiencing earthquakes you're just maybe laying on the couch watching tv and then it's like oh something shakes and you're like oh yeah i guess that was an earthquake or i saw like i was only four years old when i saw the first volcano eruption so there's like there's like this force constantly bubbling underneath like you go about your daily life and you know everything is fine and beyond your control you have like no control over it and you have to adjust to it so and that's like also like it's a landscape that's constantly changing because of like the of those like elements so yeah that has had like a lot of impact on my work and just i think how i just think about life in general the friedrich example is sort of good because i think that iceland exists in in a sort of romanticist terror in our imaginations and in your description of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I went there two years ago and was not terrified. But that's interesting, Adriana, that you turn toward this romantic element because there, the I wanted to ask if you have, if you feel that the kind of balance that's implied in the work, in the sense that the work indicates that that balance is possible that a certain kind of placidity, a kind of peace, a kind of calmness, a sort of equilibrium is available to us. And it may look weird, it may look like it's about to topple over, but the work stands for itself to prove that it actually doesn't. Uh, because through the way you've set the pieces up, they have this equilibrium, even if it's temporary. Right. And for me, that would go in contrast with the kind of with the uh, terror and the sublime that I that I more typically associate with romantic work and like precisely with the, the wanderer. Like I just I just so what I'm getting at is this kind of way in which the, the work is, is it trying to lull us into a sense of calm and a, and a sense of peace and this kind of idea like, don't worry, Biden is going to be president tomorrow. 
and like everything will be okay. And you know, these cement blocks are standing on, on edge, but it's okay. They're tied down, the rope will, or or do we end up with Yates talking about how the center cannot hold, like, and you know, and then that the, that the work is actually just going to spin out of control and we're going to end up with things falling apart. Uh, no, I, it is like, I mean, I believe like, there is always hope, you know. So then balance and like it is possible. And you know, you reach it. And it's also like funny you mentioned this is like there is this this is basically the motto of Icelanders. It's called it's in Icelandic, it's Thetaretas, which means it will all work out. No mm-hmm. matter how what kind of terrible situation you're in. And I think it's because it's like a tiny island in North Atlantic. And you just go by this. I mean, I, I live by it too. So it's basically like my, my artwork also. Probably it's just an extension of me in a way. So it is like, there is a sense of like, it's going to be okay. Even though it's everything is on ads, it will, there is a, there is a way to get through it and can yeah, and, be and fine. Even- you, you're going to be fine. Or creating balance from what you can scrounge around you, whether it looks like it'll work or not. Yeah, like, it's such a like my balance isn't necessarily yours and you know you don't really you need to kind of like work at it too feel like in your life and so some you have maybe some fixed notions about something and then that's not the thing you know and then you're like oh this yeah this might seem odd but this works you know well that's post-rationalist sense of balance uh, by which I mean that the work presents itself as an engineering feat one way of thinking about it is like oh so it's this is this is the hard rationality of you know like Adriana was hinting at of of modernity you know the hard science and imagining you with a protractor measuring everything out and then you know punching in coefficients of uh, static friction and so on to figure this all out Um, but on the other hand the balance, but the way you're talking about it now, it's a sort of situated balance. It's a sort of the the equilibrium is not inherent in the system as a whole because that can't ever exist because the rope will eventually give way. The wax will eventually get worn down, et cetera, et cetera. So all you have is all the viewer has is their is their moment of their situation, their perspective, their view and the feeling of that equilibrium and that and that balance that then feels this sense of it working out. So it may not, it's it's not that the system will reach peace necessarily, but it's not bad if we do for ourselves every once in a while, in moments of reflection, in moments of calm, and in response to having a storm going on in the mountains below us. Right, and I guess that would be what goes back to the Friedrich, Friedrich piece. Is it this eventual kind of um, giving up of sorts or just allowing oneself to have faith over rationality? I just was really wanting to talk about that painting, and I did. So I'm happy. And it was so interesting hearing you talk about Iceland. I, I went there once on, on a, a layover, and we were there for like 48 hours. And I remember it was just so quiet. Like yeah. go- going to the main, the main hub to get dinner, there was just nobody walking around. And it was this kind of 
feeling that at any time nature could come up and swallow everything, which was an interesting feeling. It, it kind of reminded me of my own precarity. <laughs> so, yeah, I loved loved Iceland. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Would do it again. So, Happy, uh, can, can you tell us how people can follow your work? And I mean, obviously, they can come to Undercurrent on January 29th for the opening or come see your show while it's up. But uh, otherwise, how can people find out more about your work? I can always go to my website. It says uh, happyosk.com. And then I have an Instagram that's happyo. And I think those are the two best options. Excellent. And we'll include links to those in the show notes then as well. Thank you very much for taking time out to chat with the two of us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So that was our conversation with Happy Osk, whose show Connectivity opens at Undercurrent, 70 John Street in Brooklyn, on January 29th at 6 p.m. So come on by and check it out. Adriana, what did you think of the chat with Happy? I liked hearing her talk about how people interact with the work when they come into the space. That's something that I feel like I'm missing out on because I'm so far away, so I don't get to see during gallery openings how people interact with the shows that um, Undercurrent puts up. Um, But I loved her talking about how people kind of approach it a little bit um, tiptoeing in a way, or kind of being very aware of how um, their bodies will affect the the fragility or the precarity of the structure. Um, And I guess I just wish I could see that in person. Don't you think that that's already kind of built into the into the kind of deified way we treat fine art in contemporary society anyway? That's interesting because I feel like when people go into art museums, there's fear instilled in us that we're not supposed to breathe on the artwork. We're not supposed to make too much noise. We're supposed to be very kind of respectful as if we're approaching something. Yeah, like a like an icon of Christ. But I think the difference is that in those situations, one can feel distanced from the work or disconnected in a way. Um, And then there's the obvious hierarchy, but I think what I would be curious about seeing her works in person is how I am important to the work, uh, either in a negative or positive way. And I think that's something I don't I don't get, or maybe most people don't get when they just walk into a museum um, or a gallery. But what do you think? Well, hypothetically, and this this comes back to the the romanticism because we are trained, I think, in a middle brow way, by which I mean I've been trained as a consummate middle brow consumer of the arts to anticipate, expect, or hope for a sublime response to works of art. So that's the exact opposite of feeling balance or peace or something. That's, I, I'm expected to be overwhelmed um, by the work. And so the way that Happy talks about, so that kind of tiptoeing, is both like something like a joke like it's something like a like a not a trick because i don't think it's mean or anything like that but it's sort of a a funny effect of creating this kind of work but then 
the flip side of it is that that it also prompts these feelings of uh, or or it highlights these notions of balance etc feel like in a middle brow sense like not why we do why we consume art um and i hadn't thought of it in these terms at all until like a couple minutes ago but there's uh Daniel Jodice's show from the summer also has this and I, I I wrote it up and and I talked about it on the podcast with you and if if you don't remember like a large part of what it what was going on there was just this such a feeling of calm being there that we we were just listening to the the works make their noise make their music make their sounds whatever you want to call it and we were so caught up in that that we didn't even bother with an interview because nobody, everybody was just fine, just chilling out. And the, and again, you know, who, who goes to a museum, who goes to a gallery to like just chill out? Like that's not, that's not what's supposed to be happening there. Yeah, I think it's really great that those shows happen so close together. Um, and hopefully people who went to that one will kind of find similar um, veins in this in this show. I think the tones are different, but I think it's, um, yeah, I wish I could see, have seen that in person. And I wish I could see this one in person as well. I'm bummed. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, you can find out more about Undercurrent at undercurrent.nyc, which includes links to Undercurrent's social media profiles and to this podcast's archive. We're also on Instagram as undercurrent.nyc. Leave us a review, like, and subscribe to the podcast. On behalf of Undercurrent... And 1984 Products. I'm Adriana. And I'm Wasir. Until next time!